Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Billboard Charty Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. I'm Trevor Anderson. I am a chart manager here at Billboard. And today we're going to hurry up. So we've got a lot of things happening today. We're talking about Drake. We're going to talk about uh, Tori Kelly. We have an interview coming up. Let's go. But first, Gary's got to bore you all with the details of his vacation. You know how someone goes on vacation, they come back uh, with pictures, and they say, hey, can I show you these pictures? What do you say when someone says that? If you're a good friend. Oh, I just clocked out, and you know, them subways ain't what they used to be, so um, uh, maybe send me an email later. Yeah. A better friend would say, oh, well, okay. They'd kind of smile, look at a few pictures. That's, that's kind of what I'm going to do with the listeners now. I, I can see everyone politely saying, okay, I want to hear about Gary's vacation. Well, do we have a treat for you, because we're about to talk about it. I'll, I'll go quick. Um, no, I, I went out uh, to the Southwest, to, to Utah and Arizona with my brother. We uh, we do a lot of these uh, trips where we go to national parks. So we actually did uh, four national parks in this one, Arches, Canyonlands, uh, Grand Canyon, and Zion uh, in, in about 10 days. So uh, got to spend a lot of time in each one, though. Really got to know each one. Uh, Arches was really cool, uh, Delicate Arch, uh, hiking out there, the, the main arch you see on, on the Utah uh, license plate uh, it's really if you raise from, your hand if you can visualize the utah license plate i think some of our uh, nature aware listeners uh, know about that um i'm a big jurassic park fan are you trevor um I, I like it i'm not gonna say i'm a big fan like i don't know you know the little trivia nuggets and this and that you wouldn't go to a dinosaur park if you had the chance uh, I mean, I, I would probably would go if I had the chance, yeah. Uh, it, we did. Uh, it was uh, in, in Utah, th- this dinosaur museum, and uh, the really cool thing is you go out into this trail, and they have all these life-size dinosaurs, really realistic looking, and the last one you get to, you see all these, it starts with smaller ones, it gets bigger, it ends obviously with uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, but eyes just staring down the, the teeth, it, it's actually really scary. I know it wasn't real, but it was pretty scared. Did your brother have to comfort you escort you out no tell you it wasn't real no but uh yeah moab giants if you ever uh, get out there uh so we were just kind of uh playing up jurassic park uh, talking about that and then we went to uh, monument valley in uh just uh, over the border from utah into arizona amazing uh, all these uh, desert uh features that you wouldn't see anywhere else we, we took a, a guided tour out into the desert there are native american families living out there but uh the thing we kept talking about it's where a uh, major scene in National Lampoon's Vacation was filmed. When I was your age, my dad shared a beer with me, and I thought it was about the best thing in the world. <sighs> yeah. When I was a boy, just about every summer, we'd take a vacation. And you know, in 18 years, we never had fun. That's probably way before your time, right, Chevy Chase? You know, it's one of those things that I know I know the movie, but I've never actually seen it. Yeah. Probably still my favorite movie of all time. And we saw the exact spot where Chevy Chase is running through the desert, kind of loses his mind out in the heat. So it's kind of cool to say that's exactly where that happened. Uh, we actually went a little bit south to a town, uh, Cayenta, Arizona. We saw the gas station from the movie 
famous scene where Chevy Chase gets robbed. We saw the exact gas station where that was filmed. You're looking at me like I'm crazy to have put that in a vacation. No, I, I that's that's cool, G. That's right. I I I'm I'm just trying to picture a gas station and uh, I don't uh, cool yeah. I researched, found it was the exact station. I'll have to I'll have to check the film out, but I do know it's you know it's a like it's, it's more than a cult classic. I guess it's just like a generational favorite right. of that era. So uh, yeah, before my time, but but I probably should knock it out. More details, or is that enough? Um, I think uh, we'll have an unabridged version of the podcast, um, director's cut, special edition, where we're going to get into all of Gary's memories. But I think for now, oh, wait, I got one more. Oh, but we ran out of time on Spoke this segment. Yeah. No, I was going to say uh, you were camping the whole time, so we're out uh, in, in nature. Uh, could be kind of dangerous. Animals. I did get bit while I was out there. Ooh, now we're talking. Let's go. What did Gary get bitten by? You think my other stories were bad? I'm, uh, don't say like a like a flea or like a, a mosquito. An ant. An ant. Didn't even happen outside. It happened inside the car with the window rolled up. Wow, what a man of the woods, Justin Timberlake. I was fine out in the woods. It just bring me back inside. That's, that's when it's dangerous, apparently. I, I don't know how we're going to follow that segment up, but we're going to try our best uh, as we kind of blaze through the top of the show let's give you a proper rundown of what's coming your way uh this week on the chart beat podcast drake fans usher fans chart fans have all been uh patiently waiting circling their calendars for this date uh we're going to talk about the history making feats that involve both drake and usher this week as drake is once again number one on the billboard hot 100 so i guess there's a little bit of a uh, spoiler for those who thought it may be somebody else's turn and we are also going to take a journey to Nashville to talk to our friend Tori Kelly, uh, our Nashville-based senior chart manager, Jim Asker, sat down with Tori and spoke about her brand new album, Hiding Place, that is coming out uh, tomorrow, the day after this airs, September 14th, her first album in three years. And for those who are fans of her pop sound, you're going to see a little sonic change. We're going into the gospel lane now for Hiding Place, so we're going to talk about that crossover and some of her crossover hits that have been hitting several genres. That's all coming up. All right, right now this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let you get a taste. Back in high school, I used to bust it to the dance. Yeah. Now I hit the FBO with duffels in my hands. Number I nine. I didn't have a Zan, 13 hours till I land. Had me out like a light, hey, like a light, hey. Like Takashi, call him Papi. Worth the ASAP, keep me rocky. I'm from New York, so I'm cocky. Beat it up like a Number three. Bad bitch, make him nervous. And number one. Say you never ever leave from beside me. Cause I want you and I need you. And I'm down for you. Always KB. Do you love me? Are you riding? Say you never. 
All right, and in proving that I am not a liar, there you go, Drake, number one. Nine weeks, is it? In my feelings, still number one on the Hot 100 this week, uh, as we kind of mentioned up top. Usher fans, chart fans, Drake fans, all been paying attention for this. This makes uh, two things that happen with Usher. We'll start with maybe this year specific, and then we'll jump into the all-time feat. So if you've been paying attention this year on this podcast, on these charts, on anywhere music is consumed, you will know that 2018 has been Drake's year. And in particular, with In My Feelings this week, hitting nine weeks at number one, you add that to the eight weeks that Nice For What had, you add that to the 11 weeks that God's Plan had, that gives Drake 28 weeks at number one in 2018. That ties Usher for the best performance by one artist in any calendar year. Usher, 28 weeks back in 2004, of course, with the incredible album Confessions and the singles uh, Yeah, Burn, Confessions Part 2, and, of course, the duet with Alicia Keys, My Boo, to close out the year. So, of course, as we are not celebrating New Year just yet, there are more weeks in 2018, so Drake could break this record as soon as next week. Yeah, that's what's uh, one of the interesting things about this. Uh, Usher uh, set that record. It was in December of 2004. Here we are in uh, September. There's still, uh, yeah, about three months left in the year. But we'll see. Uh, Scorpion's still going strong. Nonstop has become uh, the new uh, airplay hit from the album. So don't know if that gets to be uh, another number one. Already uh, debuted at number two. So Yeah, I was going to say that's probably the biggest sort of push towards it is that the week the Scorpion came out, it was the biggest non-single. Right. So that, that generally, of course, tends to be a flag for a lot of the companies that, hey, this is the song that people like the most. Do right. something with this. Yeah, you kind of forget at this point that uh, In My Feelings it wasn't number one that first week. It had to jump past that. So off the bat, uh, In My Feelings, as big as it seemed now for over two months, wasn't really uh, the first uh, choice from the album. So it's been number one ever since. But yeah, 28 weeks at number one uh, in 2018 for uh, Drake. Uh, we're going to talk more about that next week. We're going to actually devote a lot of the uh, podcast next week to is Drake's 2018. Is it the most historic? Is it the most dominant year that anyone's ever had in the history of the Hot 100? Is it bigger than uh, the Beatles in 1964, Michael Jackson 1983? Uh, Drake's got the numbers to back them up. We're going to talk if it really feels like that next week. I, I assume you're talking about it in a chart sense. It, not, not, not sort of a overall pop culture. Well, I think that's where we're going to go. Uh, I mean, the, the numbers say he is now tied with Usher for the most dominant year ever. No one else has ever had more weeks than number one. So I think we're going to get into uh, more uh, does it really feel like that? And maybe it's a little hard to tell when you're in the moment. Uh, looking back, you can certainly see how some years... Eh, eh, there's no real way to, I guess, say this without kind of uh, coming down on Black Eyed Peas a little bit. But you look at their 26 weeks at number one in 2009, and you kind of think, they just had two huge singles that rained back-to-back, -back and they were never able to uh, have that kind of domination after. Whereas you look at something like the Beatles in 64, Michael Jackson in 83, and you just know those are pop culture uh, years that still have so much probably more impact today. Yeah, I mean, interesting, too, that, I mean, for, you know, for 28 weeks to number one, I mean, Drake, and this is obviously sort of a planned strategy, is really like media absent, you know, not on award shows, not on TV performances, not doing, you know, making the round sort of in a way that's oversaturating. So kind of funny that, yeah, I mean, to like as big as this year is, we really haven't sort of seen, quote unquote, a lot of Drake. But yeah, I mean, that's part of the new ecosystem. I mean, really that that viral videos and I mean, he's done an excellent job. I think anybody can agree with with his music videos this year from God's Plan giving out, you know, the million dollars from Nice For What having, um, you know, I mean, that incredible cast of women uh, to really be the stars of the video. I'm upset with the Degrassi reunion now in my feelings, had the video challenge. So in an era where a lot of people think video is kind of dead and, you know, it's maybe not quite as important, things like the VMAs and all those kind of enterprises, Drake's proven that, hey, you know, videos still can, you know, done right and done with, with some, some clever strategy behind them. I mean, they can still make as big an impact, if not, you know, maybe even for my feelings, a bigger impact than the song. Do we need to do this next week or can we just cover it all? Uh, you know, that's going to be a preview. I'm telling you, I have faith that next week, this is just going to be the warm-up act. This is just the level one intro course. Okay. We're going to get the advanced take from Dr. Gary Truss next week. Uh, bring your pens and paper. There's a chance Drake might actually not be number one next week. Uh, the gap is actually closing with uh, the song we heard at number two once again, uh, Maroon 5's Girls Like You featuring Cardi B. So 
There's a chance you that you want to talk about a phantom hit. It just, I mean, it's just how. You don't think that's a, a worthy number one? No, really. I mean, well, I, I mean, okay. To be fair, I'm not plugged into the radio, so from everything I understand, this song, this song is probably all over the radio. Oh yeah, it's been number but one on radio songs for a few weeks. It's now. just funny to me that it's like it's like one of those songs that, and you know, this is not like. I mean, Maroon 5 always has some great songs, but it's just funny to me. This song seems like, I don't know. It, uh, I, I guess in an age where people sort of like talk about songs, it feels like the song is not really discussed. Like everyone sort of knows in my feelings, everybody's of course doing the viral challenge and those kind of things. And it feels like even I like it sort of had, has the, the bilingual flair and it's a song that people are like quoting. Right. I mean, you know, of course, you know, yeah, I like it like that. You know, Kiki, do you love me? It's just funny that this Maroon 5 song has, and maybe it's, by funny, it maybe I also mean impressive that you know Maroon Five has really been able to make their way up there and and hold down the fort for so long with a song that feels like it's just sort of universally there, but you know, and, and universally agreed upon, but not really sort of acknowledged as like an like an oh yeah, like that's that's the song I want to hear. Yeah, I, it, the video has probably given it the most buzz with all the women uh, in the video, so I think that's kind of made it top of mind uh, for however top of mind it is but uh, it's been the only pop song in the top 10 uh, for a little bit now too so it's it's just uh, representing pop at the moment I, I think it's one of their catchiest songs it's really simple but it's catchy and you mix in Cardi B it gives it a little bit more hip hop cred you know I gotta say with the, and that's kind of that point it's funny because if the song it feels like the Cardi B verse is like not I don't know doesn't I don't know if it does it mesh well with the song I don't know if it's like when I heard the song, like like I hear it like as a pop song, and then Cardi B comes in all of a yeah. sudden, and I'm kind of like, "Well, she wasn't on is... she wasn't on the album version, so she was definitely added for the single." All right. Well, next week we'll see if it's number one, whether you want it to be or not. Well, it's, I'm, well, I mean, I'll put it this way: if it makes it to number one, or just even hangs out at number two, Maroon Five, excellent strategizers. They knew they know Cardi B is hot. They know that verse will, you know, give them some more, give them a whole new fan base and to latch onto. Can't blame them. Yep. All right, so we've covered one Usher record. Now let's take on another one. Another one. Another one. Another one. Another one. Thank you, DJ Khaled. Great cameo. Love it. So if you add up the weeks at number one for all six, uh, quick crash course for those who don't remember. This started way back in 2010, featured on Rihanna's What's My Name, jumped to 2016, featured again on Rihanna's work, spying a pattern there. 2016, his own one dance with uh, Wizkid and Kyla. And then, of course, the three from this year, God's playing nice for what? In my feelings. Add up all the time those songs spent at number one. You get to a nice 48 weeks, which is one ahead now of Usher's total for his career, which is 47 weeks. And believe it or not, Drake's 48 weeks, you're not going to find another male solo artist with more than that. So Drake officially... After so many years of, you know, not having his own number one, only getting number ones featured with Rihanna, now he's already taken hold of the career weeks at number one for male artists. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because it, it really doesn't feel like it was that long ago we were talking about, is Drake ever going to get his first number one as a lead artist? And now, yeah, number one uh, longer than any other male artist, kind of like... Uh, you know, in sports, people wondering, uh, can LeBron James ever win a championship? And then once once you finally do, that whole narrative uh, gets put to rest. Well, and not only that, I mean, just to just to knock through so quickly. I mean, yeah. that's that's incredible. Because, of course, yeah, once, oh, can LeBron get a ring? And then he suddenly three-peats, and you're like, oh, when will LeBron not get another ring? Yeah, right. It's like, oh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so uh, 48 weeks at number one, Usher 47. Uh, still a long way to go for the overall record. Mariah Carey, 79 weeks at number one. So Drake, uh, something to shoot for. He's, he's uh, broken so many records. Uh, kind of nice to know that uh, there's still something else he, he still could accomplish. But hey, I mean, you know, when you look back at adding 28 to the total this year, if he adds 28 next year, you know, that's already putting him in the 70s club. Yeah. Great. And of course, that's nowhere near a given, but, you know, the power of Drake, you never know. So Drake, uh, obviously huge in the Hot 100s, uh, top 10 this week at number one again. Uh, another longtime rapper uh, has uh, two top 10s, his first two top 10s in almost five years. Eminem is back with two new songs in the top 10. Kamikaze, his new surprise album, uh, debuts at number one on the Billboard 200. Uh, 
I, it kind of interesting to me, Trevor, how uh, his last album, Revival, which wasn't that long ago, just uh, last December, uh, didn't have any top tens on the Hot 100. Uh, got close with a couple songs. One of them was uh, 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 one of the only people who seems to have admitted really liking Walk on Water featuring Beyonce because it was really pop. It seemed like, uh, uh, did he go a little uh, pop on the last album with, with Beyonce and Ed Sheeran? And uh, why do these songs go top 10 from the new album? Is he, uh, was the surprise element of the album uh, suddenly dropping? Is it a little more, am I totally wrong? Is it a little more emo rap? And so I, I know the ringer, it, it, the lyrics probably really driving it, but something like Lucky You at number six feels like it's maybe a little bit more in that Post Malone Drake kind of a sound that maybe Eminem hasn't done before? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think a lot of people after Revival sort of wrote off Eminem Left for Dead and you can never count him out. I mean, of course, Kamikaze, great title for a surprise. That's literally what that is. And not only was it a surprise, I mean, it crash landed in a way that I don't know if a lot of people expected just because, and we saw this earlier with J. Cole in the year two taking shots at a lot of the uh, of the new generation so I think there's always kind of an element of that of that beef, that drama. You know, let me hear her, because even if you read about it, or you know, if you even read the lyrics, it's not the same as sort of like hearing the ammo. And it's like, oh, 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 M is like, ah. Um, I mean, I do think also, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a weird place that he's in because, and I think we kind of mentioned this on an episode last year. You know, when you're a rapper who's been in the game for so long, and a lot of your source material was about you know, troubled childhood and it's a lot about, you know, growing up in the streets and whatnot. And now you're, you know, you've been a millionaire for almost 20 years. Right. It's very hard to have that same sort of authenticity. And I think Im even really talks about it on the album is, you know, this sort of weird place about, well, you know, you all, you know, when I tried to be sort of um, in his feelings or, or to lack of a better phrase and um, sort of above it all, everybody didn't want that. But now, you know, I'm taking shots and he's sort of bringing back really the old Eminem. I mean, he's still, you know, lacing people. A lot of people taking offense at some of the languages and some of the slurs that he uses. But that is representative of, quote unquote, classic Eminem. People have a problem with that. But I think ultimately people, you know, that's what you grew up with with Slim Shady. That, that's, that's what you liked about him. That's what you liked that he was not afraid to pull punches and, and, and talk about anybody and everybody in any part of your life and... You know, I guess in a cynical way, you know, as much as we sort of think we're beyond that and why do we have to do that, there's still that part that, you know, a lot of people, especially some of the people who, you know, were around for those first three, four albums, they're like, yeah, this is the M I remember who was fiery and this is this is the guy that they want. Yeah, maybe it's a combo of that and just some of the production where uh, you know it can come off sometimes as a little disingenuous if you try to, to bend towards what current trends are. But I feel like he kind of made it work in places and it's kind of the best of both, uh, classic Eminem with uh, slightly updated sound in places. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the, you know, that's sort of the magic formula that, that people wanted. I think Jay-Z kind of had that same balance on 444 where it was, you know, he was... The subject matter maybe been a little different, of course, talking about the you know adultery with Beyonce and sort of trying to be a pro-black entrepreneur. But I think he still did it in that way that that made people you know stop and think and appreciate his craft and his creativity. And it was just produced in such a clean fashion that you know that's 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 what you want to kind of marry. I think with Revival, he probably went to your point, like yeah, a little too pop, a little too introspective, and maybe tried to be a little too wise, I guess, on it and. I mean, more than, you know, whether or not it was bad in terms of its quality, I think people just read it as false. Like, that's, you know, maybe you're just trying a little too hard. So, and, you know, M acknowledges that Revival was, you know, kind of whack. So, and he's done that before with Relapse. You know, when, when Recovery came out, he acknowledged that Relapse was kind of this weird thing that he put out. And, you know, I appreciate anybody who's willing to say with their own discography, you know, okay, that was a misstep. Let's Let's forget that. Let's get back on track. I'm still going to try to find someone else who liked Walk on Water. You know, you might have to go through the, the deepest catacombs of the Beehive because I don't know if they even, you know, were really feeling that song. Yeah, good luck. Report back.
All right. Uh, let's move on to our special guest this week. Uh, really happy to welcome special guest Tori Kelly to the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Uh, her last album, Unbreakable Smile, debuted at number two on the Billboard 200. It was back in uh, 2015. Had three hits uh, on the Pop Songs chart. Uh, Nobody Love, Should Have Been Us, and Hollow. Uh, she's back now after three years and a little different direction uh, with the gospel album and uh, some real heavy hitters uh, that she worked on uh, in the gospel genre as well. So she's going to talk all about that and whether it really is a departure whether it's uh, a side of her that's always been a part of her and her music uh, just coming out in a different way on this album. So really excited to hear from Tori Kelly, Jim Asker, our Nashville-based senior chart manager, uh, speaking with Tori Kelly here on the Billboard Chart Podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everybody, this is Jim Asker on the Billboard Chart Beat Podcast. I'm so excited today to have the one and only Tori Kelly Hello. with us. Hi Tori. Hi. How's Congratulations it going? on this great album. Thank you. Uh, we're going to talk about um, your hits that people will remember you for. Nobody Love, Should Have Been Us, Hollow, all top 25 hits uh, on the Billboard Pop Songs Radio Airplay chart. Your album, Unbreakable Smile, debuted at number two on the Billboard 200 in 2015. Um, I'll Find You with Lecrae, nine weeks at number one on Hot Christian Songs. Did you know that? I didn't, actually. That's uh, awesome. It, it's amazing. And your country song with uh, Chris Lane is rocking the top 10 yeah. on the country airplay <laughs> chart right now. So you're like the queen of collaborations <laughs> right now. Awesome. Um, and I just want to congrats, congratulate you on the new album, Hiding Place. It's tremendous. I've been listening to it nonstop for Thank the past you so much. three days. Produced by mm. Kirk Franklin, due September 14th. Uh, and now that the work is over, it's completed, how does it feel? It feels absolutely amazing. This is something that I've, I've always wanted to do. Um, I grew up listening to gospel music, and I've just always loved it. It's really a big part of how I started singing, too, just listening to gospel singers. When you were and, a little kid? Yeah, I was, I was really young. I was probably, I mean probably like three, four. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Always had music in my house. I mean, I, I, I owe that to my, my parents. They were always playing just really good music. Your parents were musical people too, yes, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. And for so. anybody who doesn't know, you grew up in California, correct? I did. Yeah. Southern California. <laughs> and you did this record in Texas. Yeah. Most of it was done, um, in, in Dallas. Yeah. With, with Kirk out there. Um, and is it true that um, he said to you, if we do a gospel record, it has to be in the South? <laughs> it is, that is true. Yeah. He um, he got on the phone with me and we were kind of brainstorming different ideas. And, and he was like, all right, well, 
you know, do you want to do it in Dallas or LA? And I was, I, I always lean towards LA just cause it's more home. Is and that where you've recorded in the past yeah, for the most part? Yeah. A lot, a lot of stuff goes down in LA. So when he said Dallas, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm down. But I kind of, you know, I just thought it'd be easier in LA. And, and he really, he persuaded me to do Dallas. He was like, if you want that Southern, you know, real authentic gospel sound, you gotta, you gotta come down to the South. I was like, all right, let's do it. For people who um, know you from your pop hits, um, and your country and Christian, how did this project get off the launching pad, um, mm. from the start? How did, how did this all come about? So I, I've been writing quite a bit for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And as I was writing, um, my album, I said, you know, I, I want, um, I went to my team and I was like, I would love to just have a gospel song at the end of the album. I think that'd be so cool. Um, and I feel like it's just a huge part of who I am and I would love to do that. And they're like, all right, cool. Let's, let's go to Kirk Franklin. And I was like, wow. Okay. Aiming pretty high. Cause he's, you know, he's a legend and a living legend. And, um, and so I was all for it. So we, we got together, went into the studio in Dallas. And as we began writing and recording songs, it, it, everyone got so excited about what we were doing and we were so excited that it kind of turned into this full project and went from being one song potentially to, um, you know, being this whole thing. And was help us to love with the Hamiltons. Was that the first song? That, that was the rec- first song that came out. Yeah. Okay. I know yeah. the first one was it, that wasn't the first one you recorded. Together no, then. it wasn't. Masterpiece oh. actually was the first one. Um, and, and we, um, yeah, we had a great time just creating the whole thing. It was very organic and it just, it just felt right. You know, formerly from radio myself, you know, we tend to, and I did a lot of country radio stations and rock and, you know, we tended to put artists in a box inside our genre. Like we didn't want our country artists doing Christian Mm -hmm. or pop. And now those walls are kind of coming down, aren't they? Do, Do listeners not think of it that way? In your opinion, with with i iTunes and yeah. YouTube and everywhere else that people could stream now, yeah, it's. I mean, I would hope the the walls are are coming down from from that. I I mean, we all I think we're all prone to doing that though, kind of categorizing different artists just so that we have a point of reference. Um, you know, if I describe what kind of artist I am, you want to kind of be able to yeah yeah put me in a category. But what would you say for me? I mean. Well, now doing this. Hey, Tori, what kind of artist are you? <laughs> I I love to sing songs about about my life, you know, and and I do think the common thread for me in all my music is maybe not even a genre, but it's just soul. I think soul. I have I have to have soul in my music, Doesn't even all- if it's. Great music have to have soul. But that might be true. Yeah. If you go back yeah. and listen to the Beatles records, the, yeah. or even the early pop records, I mean, yeah, they have soul. Totally. You know, and all, I, I've always felt like when people would ask me about music, I'd always say any great song has soul. That's really good. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would hope that's what that's what and you I'm, can't create that, can you? Yeah, it's gotta, it's gotta come from within. It's gotta be authentic. And you're gonna be hearing from a lot of fans who are hearing faith-based music for the very mm. first time. A lot of mm. faith-based fans who are hearing you for the first time. Yeah. What do you want them to take away from your project? Good question. I I would say, you know, even I think even if you don't believe necessarily what I believe, um and maybe you don't know who God is or um you know, you don't know what to think of it or you know, you're kind of navigating your way through your faith, whatever it is. Um, I would hope that people could hear these songs and feel really encouraged and uplifted and, um, you know, just know that these songs, they're, they're really coming from a, a hard place. It's not like I'm just, you know, singing, you know, I've, obviously I, I love God and I, I have this passion for him, but also, you know, those songs and a lot of what gospel music is about is you're singing from this hard place, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm going through this hard time, like I'm crying out to you. Where are you? And you're asking, I have a song on, on the record called questions. And it's really just asking kind of like the psalmist asked, you know, where are you God? And I don't feel you right now. And, um, so I think, you know, just I'm human, just like everyone, Mm. and go through things. And these songs are really um, 
that's kind of why I not kind of, that is why I named it uh, hiding places. Cause you know, it's this place of refuge when I go into these songs where I can kind of, um, just find peace that God offers. And yeah, like I said, I mean, even if you don't believe in God, you know, I hope that people can hear that and experience that and, um, and just hopefully be encouraged by these songs. What about the process of recording in itself? I, I told you before we started recording, mm-hmm. I felt like the record has this almost cinematic yeah. feel to it. Um, beautiful. Thank and you. I love that. That's was that awesome. by design? How, how did you, did you mean to make this a seamless, cohesive record? Like it came out. I mean, I think that's always the goal when you're creating something, you want it to feel like a fluid piece of art. Um, but, but no, I mean, we, we were so surprised even at ourselves or just how well we work together. Um, I found out that he had never co-written with anybody before me. And, uh, you know, I, I read that. I didn't know if it was true. That's unbelievable. So I thought the same thing. I mean, we, um, he had, he had some songs, you know, already, already written that I just, I believed in wholeheartedly. And I just thought these are incredible. And then I was like, Hey, we should write together. And so never alone is actually the first song. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So that was the first one that you guys wrote together. And apparently the first one that he's ever co-written with anyone. So that was a huge honor. He and I actually wrote Despacito together. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell me which songs you guys Mm co-wrote together and which ones he wrote alone for the, for the record. We co-wrote, um, Sunday and Psalm 42, Mm -hmm. um, it is well and never alone those four. And then the other four, um, he, he wrote himself. the track never alone. Tell me about that. The new, um, the single yeah, and why that was the obvious choice for the single that. So like I said, that was the first one that we wrote together. And I think it just, it's just so uplifting. Like whenever I hear it, I just, I get excited. I get really hyped. And, um, I think it just has all the different elements that you would want that, that I would want, um, for people to hear as like kind of the first song. Um, it's got, you know, big choirs. It feels good. It's got a hopeful message. Um, and I just, I remember having that title in my phone before, before we wrote it. And I just kept kind of hearing that theme. Like I'm, I'm never alone. I'm never alone. Even when I feel alone, Mm. I'm never alone. God's always with me. So even though it's such a, like, can come off as maybe a simple concept. I was like, how do we unpack that? How can we make that, you know, a full song? And that was kind of the the fun part about writing it. I'm together. sure it's going to do great. Thank um, you. And I was talking about the cinematic feel to the record. And then you get to a song like Psalm 42. Mm. Um, and it starts out in this stark kind of, um, well, you explain it. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, I, I it's love beautiful, the, by the way. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks. I, Um, I guess it is kind of cinematic now that you say that. I love that word. Um, Yeah, it's very, uh, it starts very kind of calm and quiet. And um, and I I say that there's a line too. There's a quiet place and there's a hiding place. And and then it just builds and builds and builds into this kind of this anthem. Um, And that, that song was just, I think that's one of the ones that Kirk and I were talking. We were super proud of of that one. Cause it was a little bit out of his comfort zone, that kind of style. And for me too, I mean, I had never, I had never written about God. I've, I've never written about my faith really. Um, you know, especially on a, a full project. So that, I mean, that song, it was just cool to kind of come together and, um, come up with that. And, and the writing process itself, how, how long did it take to make the record about from start to finish wire to wire? I think it only took, he said you kind of showed think. up at his doorstep with a guitar. Yeah. No entourage. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's very true. I was just by myself. Um, yeah, we, I want to say six months maybe in full. Mm. Does that sound right? Yeah. It, it's got the feel, i um, been listening to the album for a few days now, nonstop, because I want to, yeah. you know, totally absorb myself in the music. And it's one of those albums you could just put on and do whatever you're doing, but then it kind of stops you. Um, because your vocal performances are, mm. <laughs> you know, just kind of bring you in. Um, and, and that's something that not all artists have. So, mm. you know, you just made this record that goes from start to finish and, and I hope people will do that, you know, just put it on and, mm. and I, and I think that 
with a lot of albums in this genre, people could do that where, um, I, I feel like I'm hoping that the album doesn't go away and you made an mm. album, yeah. um, instead of just a collection of songs. Yeah. If that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I hope so too. <laughs> tell us who collaborated with you as far as artists joining you on the project. I know Lecrae is yeah. on one, right? Yes. Uh, Le- Lecrae and I, well, we, we did I'll find you together for oh, his album. Right. So I was like, you gotta hop on mine now. So, <laughs> um, he, and he was just, you know, he's, he was always, he's always down and, um, he did a great job on that song on masterpiece. And he's also a good friend too. So that was cool. Also, uh, the Hamiltons on help mm-hmm. us to love who are amazing. Um, and that's Anthony Hamilton's group, right? Yeah, I believe, I believe they went on tour with him and that mm-hmm. name kind of stuck. Oh, okay. So now they're, you know, doing their own thing too. And is Jonathan yeah. McReynolds, is he on one of the tracks? Yes. Yes. And I, I'm Tremendous. a huge fan yeah. of Jonathan. So we, we've actually been um, in contact for a few years trying to, to collaborate somehow. And it just hasn't worked out until now. And, um, and it's so funny cause I was telling Kirk, you know, we were, we were both saying like this song would be cool as a duet. Actually, it, it originally wasn't meant to be a duet. And we started brainstorming, you know, who would be good artists to have. And I was like, Jonathan McReynolds would be amazing. I'm such a big fan. He was like, oh yeah, sure. Let me just, let me just call him really quick. And he busts out his phone, calls him before I can even process what he's doing. He has him on the phone Wow. and he's saying, you want to fly out to Dallas from Chicago uh, to be on the song with Tori Kelly. And it was like, yeah, sure. Click. And it was done. And he was there the next day. Amazing. <laughs> it was so cool. It's like, that's the power of Kirk Franklin. He just can, he just snapped his fingers and you know, everyone just really respects him. And it was, it was such a cool such a cool experience to have um, Jonathan and I. We we recorded it in the same room as well. How will this work for live shows? Have you thought about that yet? Are you going to take it on the road? Yeah, I um, I, I mean, I I love performing. That's I think probably my favorite part about being an artist is getting to. I was going to ask you recording yeah. live. What do you do? You like both as much? I like both, but I think I. It would almost feel in, incomplete in a way if I just, you know, had the songs out and I didn't get to perform them because that's really just where a lot of my heart is, um, is getting to sing. And um, yeah, so I that being said, yes, I, I will definitely um, be doing shows. Like if, if you're doing a pop show, mm-hmm. would you just break out one of the gospel songs and, and do <laughs> like might. Never Alone? Yeah, I might. I think, I think there will be a fun way to kind of weave everything together. Um, cause at the end of the day, I mean, my, my other songs that'll be coming out and this, this gospel project and the songs I have in the past, you know, it's all me still. So even though it's different genres, it's, it all feels like me. So I think when I'm up on, on stage, there'll be, I'm excited for that too, to kind of create the show and, and do you, make do you it feel just good. do that sometimes? Like just, um, call an audible when you're on stage An audible. Um, actually, yeah, I have done that before, or I'll switch the set list around and just be like, yeah, let's do this one guys. I'll just yell it to my band. <laughs> I, I love that. It's fun. You know, yeah. when the guys are just passing around each other, like yeah. whispering, you know, we're going to go into this one next. Yeah. That's the best. Um, and yeah, I was going to ask you if you're going to do a completely like gospel tour kind of thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure yet. Not sure. We'll have to see. Well, yeah. I suggest the Ryman auditorium here in Nashville Ooh. to do it from start to finish. That'd be amazing. Um, have you performed there? I have. Yeah. The mother church, you know, of yeah. country music. Um, I love it there. I got to, I when got did to, you perform there? That was on the last tour that I did. I think, yeah, like maybe 2016. Oh, great. And then I also got to, um, surprise the little big town fans at their show they called me oh, up on yeah, stage that's right i saw one <laughs> of those fun. shows but i didn't see that one yeah so um. you, you guys are friends you're a little yeah. bit town yeah i love those guys they're awesome we always just we always run into each other at award shows or something like that they're awesome you're the kind i want to take a ride with sit by on a friday night in the stadium lights side by side all the ladies like it seems like you've been singing and listening to all kinds of music since you were a baby, right? So yeah. your music yeah. kind of embodies like all these different styles, which I always think yeah. a great artist, like um, their music will embody different styles. That's good. While yeah. still maintaining some soul. 
Thanks. Um, and, <laughs> and I think that you have that, um, whether, you know, it's by design or, or not. Um, and I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you've got this song in the country top 10. You're not afraid, obviously, of being in different genres at the Mm-mm, same time. I love it. Um, <laughs> and and it's number eight. On, I do the country chart, too. Yeah. Um, and it's number eight on that chart uh, as we speak. Hopefully we'll go to number one. Yay. Have you been asked to do more country stuff? Because it's that kind of town. Yeah. You know, I um, I don't I don't know yet if I'll do. More, I would love to do more country stuff. I don't know if maybe maybe not right now, but yeah, and then in the future, I would love to. You're managed by Scooter Braun. Yes. Who also has Justin Bieber, Usher, other stars. Mm-hmm. What have you learned from all that experience? Um, Scooter has always been so supportive of me. Um, I've been with him now for almost six years, I want to say, and um, yeah, he's just he gets so excited about. Um, about vocals and he gets excited about, um, I think he's always been a champion of just me and my guitar, which has been really cool. Um, when I was, you know, going way back when I was just first thinking about, um, even partnering with him, um, one of my things was like, Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm this genre. I don't know if I'm this genre. And so I didn't want to necessarily be this kind of, you know, pop, thing like I I just didn't know yet and all I knew is I had my guitar and I love to sing and I think he's done such a good job of um reminding me even that that's really how it started and that's kind of what I end up going back to and just that that raw um you know girl and her guitar kind of thing no extra glitz and glam and even though sometimes that's fun it's like let's you know it's good to always kind of go back to to where it started so I think working with him has been really fun because he's able to do that I think that you're such an inspiration for young girls um Mm -hmm. you play you sing you write um is finding him for anybody who's listening who wants to be an artist is finding a manager like the first thing somebody should do or Mm. I would say, I'd say what, no. What the, kind of advice do you give? I think the first thing you got to do is, well, I, I always encourage, um, I always encourage people to, especially if you play an instrument to, to learn how to write songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you feel like you're not writing good songs, just to try to, you know, put your heart onto paper and just start writing how you feel. And, um, cause I think that's just so important as an, as an artist, cause it's something no one can take away from you. Um, and you have your voice and you're able to, you know, say what you want to say. So that would, that's always, I always encourage people. And if you don't know an instrument, maybe try to learn an instrument. And you're not um, even like you're 25 still, right? I'm 25. Yeah. Um, do you still feel young? Yeah, I feel young. Good. Yeah. Well, you look young. Thanks. Age is just a number. I mean, you're just anyway, so right? young to have done so much. <laughs> oh, it's quite it's, amazing. And, you know, I'm sure everyone asks you about the American Idol experience, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I actually didn't know what he had said to you until I was prepping for this, <laughs> um, thinking about this interview. Did that yeah. shatter you at all in the beginning? Um, and we're talking about Simon, of course, yeah, and a lot of Simon. people know this story, that he yeah. said some horrible things. Yeah, and you were crazy only, what, things 16? almost like 10 years ago, almost. It's wild, but Did yeah, that shake I, you like, shake you to like where I don't want to do it anymore? Or did you like get back on the horse and say, I'm, I'll, I'll show him? I think I was, I was sad when I... Well, I, I, when I got cut, I was sad for that day. And then I'm honestly, I, I was just fired up right after that. I wasn't sad for too long. Cause I think to me, it was just a sign like, okay, this wasn't, this wasn't the door. Like one door closed doesn't mean that's a bad thing. That just means, you know, another one can open. And, um, that's, that's really when I discovered songwriting was when that happened. I, I started writing songs more and um, picked up my guitar and that's what led to me posting videos on YouTube. So I always say like, whatever's meant to be will be. And that was just that's a, a good example. It is. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that's just an example of, you know, it's, I'll take it for what it was. And it was an amazing experience. Um, and it just led to other things. Well, I mean, I just think that is just a testament to your strength. Were you plugged mm-hmm. into your faith at the time? Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I grew up always knowing, you know, 
knowing about God and, um, going to church and hearing about God. And I really, I felt like I had looking back even at old diaries, it's like I was writing down prayers and things and you were at a young age. Yeah. I kind of mixed in with songs and, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was, I mean, you say that I I was strong, but I I don't know if it was me. I mean, I really think it it all goes back to him because I think I've, I've, I really leaned into him whenever something like that would happen. Cause I just, I, I was really, bummed, you know, and I went through seasons, you know, maybe, maybe the American Idol thing was just one bump in the road, but there were others too that were just like, okay, you know, when, when is this going to happen? So, um, yeah, it was, it was important for me to, to seek identity in my faith and in, in Christ rather than, um, trying to find it in like success and in, you know, all these different things that were happening. Cause that I think, um, that's what really, I think kept me grounded, um, was, you know, I think that's yeah. great, great inspiration <laughs> for you. young people listening who want to be something and get deterred along the way mm. by someone who says you can't do it. And yeah. I've taught a little bit and I always tell students like, don't let anybody tell you, you can't do something. If you yeah. really want to do it, then do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the album it's called hiding place. And you know, I just love the record. Um, I hope you do more of this kind of music down the road. You got such a long career oh, in front you. of you yet. Yeah, you've done a movie already. Have, yeah. Is it, uh, <laughs> have you done more than one movie or is it sing? Is was just it, the one? Yeah. Just sing, which was amazing. It was like, it was one of the best things I've ever done. Did you <laughs> so choose fun. the song, uh, the Stevie wonder song that you did? You know, I didn't, but it, I mean, I probably would have chosen that if I, if I got such a great song. Did you know the song before? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. They did a great job just putting all that together. It was so much fun. Was it fun? So fun. You can't see, but I'm just smiling really (laughs) big right now because it was, it was so fun. Did you get to meet the other stars? I did, but not until the premiere actually. So we did all our parts separately and. Who did you hang with that you you met Um, for the first time that you really liked? Uh, well, I mean everyone on the cast was just so cool. And they're all, I mean, mega, mega stars. I mean, it was like Scarlett Johansson, Matthew McConaughey, Reese Witherspoon. So sweet. I've run into her quite a few times. She's awesome. Um, yeah. Everyone Does anybody ask you about really another cool. movies? What's that? Lately? Has it, have you been asked about other movies? Um, I, I have, yes, but you I can't talk say. About it right now. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next time. Next we'll time. We'll save it for the yeah, next yeah. podcast. <laughs> well, the single is called Never Alone. I love it. I love the album. Thank you. I just want to congratulate you on making this great project. Thank you um, so much. I'm glad you yeah. like it. And, you know, play the Ryman. Yes. <laughs> um, we've been talking with Tori Kelly. Uh, it's been such a treat. Good luck to you down the road. I hope to see you again. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for being here with us. Uh, this is Jim Asker on the Billboard Chart Beat Podcast. Thank you, everyone. On a Monday, I am waiting. Tuesday, I am fading. And by Wednesday, I can't sleep. Then the phone rings, I hear you And the darkness is a clear view Cause you've come to rescue me That's a song you probably have not heard uh, in quite some time. You may, it's one of those songs you almost kind of maybe forget was, was it as big as it was in the moment, especially if you were like me in the preteen, teen years. That was a really big summer anthem going into eighth grade. That was like twice your age then. You're catching up, so at least that's good. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah, that's about right. Uh, but that song, if you don't know it, is called Pieces of Me. That is sung by Ashley Simpson. Yes, younger sister of Jessica Simpson. So the Simpson family, one of the the few acts in Hot 100 history where two siblings have had top 10 hits on the Hot 100. Talking about Pieces of Me because the song hit the top five on Hot 100. It's number five peak. 
this week back in 2004. Ashley Simpson uh, kind of making some some waves back in the cycles again. Uh, I mean, really to, to sort of catch up on a 14-year gap. She is married now. Uh, you may have seen her actually on stage last year at the 2017 American Music Awards in November uh, when Diana Ross was getting her Lifetime Achievement Award. Ashley was up there with the rest of the family. Why was Ashley Simpson on stage with Diana Ross and her family? Because Ashley Simpson is married to Evan Ross, who is one of Diana Ross's children. So, yeah, Diana Ross is Ashley Simpson's mother-in-law. Being a Simpson wasn't famous enough. She had to sort of become a, a Ross as yeah, well. Yeah, she's a yeah. Got that Ross. I mean, she's right there with what she's like sister-in-law with Tracy Ellis at this point. And I mean, you got you you can kind of put like this the degrees of separation between Nick Lachey and Diana Ross is down to like four. Yeah. Crazy. But Ashley and Evan back in the cycle. They've got a new television show on E! called Hey, Ashley and Evan. Not, not not Hey, Ashley and Evan, but it's just called Ashley and Evan. Uh, that chronicles them. They put out a new song, uh, this duets album that they have coming up. So really one of Ashley's first returns to music in a long time. No place I'd rather be. You're asking me if I love you. I do, I do, I do. You're asking me if I trust you I do, I do, I do I know the world could be broken But it's okay, I got you Of course, her earliest fans will know Pieces of Me, her debut single And she would been on TV at that same time With the Ashley Simpson show Kind of running parallel to newlyweds Nick and Jessica celebrating their honeymoon And their first couple of years of marriage of course, if you know the Ashley Simpson story, you know the big moment, the infamous moment that really put her career on a path that it really never recovered from. Talking the SNL performance in 2004 in October when the backing track for Pieces of Me played when it wasn't supposed to during a second song. She kind of did this little hoedown, you know, a little jive, left the stage, came back, tried to sort of explain it away, didn't quite work, and... You know, this is sort of the early days of the internet, but the internet, fandoms, criticisms, users, everybody just, I mean, rained booze on her. Yeah, this was before Twitter, uh, two or three years before Twitter. And I maybe it even wouldn't have been worse then because now uh, things happen, but you, you sort of forget about it by the next thing comes along. Uh, we kind of were stuck with talking about this for, for quite a while. Well, that's kind of one of the things that, I, that, that really hit me when I was thinking about sort of the, the context of all of this because it, to me, and maybe... Um, Maybe I'm wrong with this, but I feel like in today's social media age, particularly in an age where, you know, we, we've seen sort of rampant efforts against online bullying and sort of targeting. And there's, uh, of course, you know, sort of fans who can mobilize in ways unlike before and really come to an artist's defense. But in a weird way to me, it feels like if this had happened, like, let's say in this year instead of 2004, I wonder if there almost would be if it'd be less damaging, not necessarily because people would move on, but because in a weird way, maybe our capacity for like understanding or, you know, explaining or trying to get back in the cycle so quickly kind of would help explain that away. I think I think one of the worst things that may have happened is like Ashley sort of had to run and hide for a little bit because of this. Right. And so she never really qu- quite got to explain it the way she wanted to or would have. And, and people were just, you know, they were so yeah. eager to, to, for whatever reason, like just eager to hate her. Well, now you could interact so much uh, better in a way you couldn't then. So, you know, she could laugh it off. She could respond to, to, to you know, comments. Even if they were uh, sort of uh, hateful, maybe she could turn around and be kind of funny with a response on Twitter. Maybe it would diffuse the whole thing. Yeah, and I mean, of course, people have lip-synced on shows before. They've lip-synced on shows since. And, you know, also, I mean, in, in sort of a related context, this is about maybe about 16 months after the Dixie Chicks have said, you know, their infamous comment about being ashamed, or Natalie Maines, rather, said her infamous comment about being ashamed that the president of the United States, George Bush at the time, was from Texas. And, I mean, of course, that got a, you know, a huge outcry from the country community in particular. Just, I mean, the quickest blacklisting probably in modern music history. And I wonder, too, because maybe because we were all focused so much on the negative about it and there was so much critique and criticism that the defenders and... and you know, the fans and the positive support had no place to really exist. I mean, 
where where were you going to reach out to Ashley Simpson and tell her, hey, it's okay, you know, we still support you, we right. still, I mean, there's no medium for all of that stuff. So it just, to me, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, of course, it's all about timing in some sense, but really makes you wonder that had this happened, you know, later, maybe in a post-social media age, as much as everyone would want to think that it would be exploded and exacerbated and sent around the world that much more and that much quicker and the damage would have been that much more horrifying to her career it almost it makes me think that maybe not maybe the reverse could have been true that you know we would have been a little more endearing a little more understanding ashley could have probably communicated a little bit better yeah. and certainly had more positive support around it oh, i know uh, family guy had fun with it will you relax plenty of people cheat once again ashley simpson Oh, oh no. no. So, so uh, there's at least one uh, meme that happened uh, in a sort of a pre-meme uh, era. Uh, working radio at the time, I remember I, I was we were playing this on our AC station, Pieces of Me. It was a huge hit, and uh, it, it really fit in sonically with uh, some of the hits, the, the Michelle Branch, the Avril Lavigne, the Jewel sound that was really big uh, after Lilith Fair. Uh, this is, it had that acoustic uh, kind of backing track. It really fit in. So as much as uh, some people kind of uh, wondered how legitimate an artist she was because of uh, the TV side and then, and then obviously the, the SNL uh, incident, still a hit song. It was really catchy. And uh, yeah, sound-wise, it fit in. You hear it now. It, Good song to hear after all this time. Sounds like it's you know, a little bit lost at this point, but you can totally hear why it was a hit. But we should say that it wasn't as if her career you know, completely fell off the map. Uh, she addressed a lot of the controversy on her next album, I Am Me, which actually debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. So there was still a community of fans you know, willing to support her and, and still standing by her. But always, you know, kind of unfortunate, especially that early in somebody's career. I mean, remember, Pieces of Me had probably come out about six months before all of this. So the window, really, of her music career before that incident was was really small. But um, always unfortunate when something like this kind of shakes an artist and you really can't shake it off. Talking about 2004. So uh, we're talking so much about Usher. How was his year? But I guess he had to share the spotlight with Ashley Sims. Yeah, some. Yeah, some like that. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah. We'll say um, there's a tie for first between Usher and Ashley Simpson as the uh, biggest musical moment of 2004. All right, uh, there's our flashback for this week, and that's this week's uh, Billboard Sharpie podcast. So uh, thanks again, Tori Kelly. Uh, it was great uh, hearing about her new album and uh, Jim Asker uh, interviewing uh, Tori. So again, that's out uh, if you're listening to this uh, here on Thursday, uh, as it posts. It's out tomorrow. Uh, her new album. So uh, next week, again, more Drake. We're going to talk about uh, Drake. In historical terms, is his 2018 uh, the biggest year anyone's ever had on the Hot 100? So we're going to look at some acts who had uh, huge runs at number one in previous years. Also, uh, some combinations of years, too, because uh, if you just go by uh, January to December, uh, you miss that Mariah Carey had uh, almost six months at number one from part of 95 to part of 96. So we can, I, we'll be OK without that. Yeah, I got to I got to mention uh, Mariah. So uh, we'll talk about all that next week. You're actually going to be off, Trevor, next week. Yeah, unfortunately, I'll be MIA. Maybe it's a little convenient, depending on how much Mariah is going to come out of Gary's mouth. But don't worry, we've got an all-star lineup of replacements ready to go. And I'm sure, of course, I'll leave the show in Gary's capable hands. And there'll be a lot of discussion to be had, so be sure to tune in for that. Ooh, I can uh, give more vacation stories next week if you're not going to be here. Yeah, you, uh, you just empty the well. I mean, just give all the stories you can while I'm gone. I don't want there to be a single story when I get back. I would hate for you to have to hold on for it for two weeks. I know I can already, it's, it's your favorite thing to talk about. It's our favorite thing to hear about. So don't feel bad for me. Don't hold off on anything. Just while, you know, just next week, just let it go. More dinosaur talk next week.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.